0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 25, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 10, verses 16 through 23. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Martin Luther, Luke Skywalker, and Matt DeSalvo. Those three names actually have something in common with one another. I'm guessing you've heard of Martin Luther before. I'm quite certain you haven't heard of Matt DeSalvo before, but I wanted to start this morning by telling you something that maybe you didn't know about Luke Skywalker. Out of all the Star Wars movies, probably the most famous scene, the most famous line, is right at the end of empire strikes back when darth vader announces to luke skywalker luke i am your father would you agree well this week i learned something interesting about that line i learned that george lucas the creator of star wars didn't plan that important plot twist in fact it didn't even occur to him to include that important plot twist until he was writing the very end of Empire Strikes Back. In other words, the entire first Star Wars movie was written and filmed and produced and aired without the plan being to include that important sudden change of events. And yet as soon as that plot twist was revealed, it sort of retroactively transformed everything that came before it. If you go back and watch that first Star Wars movie and you know that that's coming at the end of Empire Strikes Back, All kinds of details in that first movie suddenly take on a new and more significant meaning. If we know what is coming ahead in the story, it has a way of transforming everything that leads up to it. That's why when you pick up a novel, I'm guessing you don't open up to the very last page. Read what happens in the end and then start back at the beginning. That's why we say things like, spoiler alert, if we're discussing a movie that perhaps some people in the room have not seen. In the world of fiction, we don't want to know the way a story ends because it would actually ruin everything that leads up to it. But what about in the world of nonfiction? And specifically, what about when it comes to the nonfiction story that is your life? Even with our very limited perspective of things, I think it's safe to say that we're sort of at this pivotal moment, maybe not only in terms of our own story, but perhaps even in terms of the broader human story. Here we are still stuck right in the middle of this pandemic, unsure when it's going to come to an end or what things will look like when it does. Perhaps you've also heard that next Tuesday, There's something important going on this election. Some people seem to think that's a pretty big deal in our world. And then to top it all off, right here at at our own church, we've got five young people who are going to be getting confirmed today, a very pivotal event in their lives as they take ownership of the faith that was handed to them by their parents. If our lives are, are like a story, you might say we're sort of at the end of one chapter perhaps and getting ready to start a new one. And I don't know about you, but very often I would just love to know what that chapter is going to include, to know the details and the plot twists that are just down the road or just on the next page. Are we ever going to have in-person school across society again this year? Are there going to be sports for young people to play this year? How is the election going to turn out? Who's going to win? When are we even going to know? And what's the fallout going to be? Is a vaccine coming? And if so, will it be effective? And if so, when will it be delivered? And as much as it can be frustrating that we don't know some of those details that are coming up on the pages ahead, believe it or not, Jesus actually offers us something far better. Not just a little glimpse of some of the things that might be right around the corner. Really, Jesus lets us know how this story is going to end. He lets us know what this story is really all about and he lets us know how it concludes. And as we think about the end of that story as Jesus reveals it to us, it it doesn't ruin everything that leads up to it. In fact, it, it transforms it in a good way. It allows us to face every detail leading up to the end of that story completely unafraid. No matter what chapter we might be entering into in our lives, as we look at these verses, From Matthew this morning, we're going to see that courage to start a new chapter comes from knowing how the story ends. So as Jesus spoke these words, he was getting ready to send out his disciples on their first mission of going around and spreading the good news, and it was a very focused mission. It was just for a very specific period of time, and he was sending them to a specific group of people, their fellow citizens of Israel. But even as Jesus gave them instructions for the mission that was in front of him, it's almost like he couldn't help himself from just kind of turning the pages ahead to talk about the chapter that would come after that. You see, eventually Jesus would send these same disciples, not just to share the good news with the people of Israel, but to share it with the Gentiles as well. In fact, he would send them all over the world to share that good news with people. And as they went all over the world, Jesus wanted them to know that they would face opposition. They would be hauled in before governors and kings. They would stand trial and face torture. They would cause division within people's families and face hatred on all sides. Jesus was throwing them to the wolves, as he said. And yet it was that very opposition that would lead to their opportunities to do the very thing Jesus wanted them to do, to confess, to testify to the name of Jesus what he did, and what it all meant. That opposition that they would face would give them the opportunity to give their testimony about Jesus. This morning, something very similar to that is happening right here in this room. Five young people are going to stand before this congregation and give their testimony about Jesus. Really, you could say that something very similar happens every time we gather in this room. We confess the truth that we know and the truth that we believe about Jesus. And, of course, in here, doing so is very safe and very easy. I'm guessing no one is going to criticize, much less torture you this morning for giving your testimony about Jesus. In fact, when those five young people do it in our 10 o'clock service, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas will be smiling ear to ear from the joy and the pride that they feel. And yet, even as we stand here at this pivotal moment today, Jesus wants to to page ahead to the chapters still to come. He wants us to know something about what will happen, not when we give our testimony about Jesus in here, but when we give that testimony out there. He wants us to know that we, too, will face opposition, but that that opposition will give us opportunity to confess what we know about Jesus. In fact, that opposition is kind of like the pressure that you might apply to a tube of toothpaste. Without that pressure, it's very easy for what is inside the tube to just stay inside, safe and secure. But you apply that pressure, and suddenly what is inside has to come out. So we page ahead to the next chapters in our lives. If you are a young person or if you were a young person, that next chapter would be four years of high school and perhaps four years of college after that. Giving your testimony about Jesus in that chapter of your life means that you don't find your worth, your value, your identity, we might say, as a person in the approval that comes from your friends. Instead, you find it in the approval that you know you have before God because of Jesus. And so as a result, you don't have to, to bend to peer pressure. You don't have to pretend to be someone that you're not. You don't have to engage in all of the mean and nasty gossip that is so common in the high school hallways and the college dorm rooms. Turn the page to the, to the next chapter. Dating. Giving your testimony about Jesus in that chapter of life means that you don't just listen to what your heart or your hormones tell you. You don't just do something because everyone else is doing it. Instead, in all things, you seek to do what pleases God. Turn the page to the, to the next chapter, career. In that chapter of your life, giving your testimony about Jesus maybe means that your job title and your salary are not the be-all and end-all of your life. Those aren't things that you are willing to pursue at all costs and at the expense of everything else. Turn the page ahead to the to the next chapter. Family. Giving your testimony about Jesus in that chapter means taking the faith that your parents passed along to you and passing it along to your children. It means being willing to make them upset when you bring them to church, no questions asked. Perhaps even kicking and screaming the way your parents may have had to do for you. Do you see a common theme? no matter the chapter we are in, we will face opposition, but that opposition will lead to opportunity. It will be the pressure that forces what is inside of us to come out, the truth that we know and confess about Jesus. And do you see what happens when it does? I mean, why else do you think that you are here this morning? How else do you think the good news about Jesus got from Twelve disciples who lived in first century Israel to us here in 21st century America. How do you think it traveled over oceans and continents and centuries and got to your ears? Jesus' plan clearly works. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable facing opposition for Jesus. But look at what happens when it does. That truth about Jesus is forced to get out and more and more people, including you and me, get to hear it. So are you ready to face whatever chapter might come next with absolute confidence and absolute courage? Even though we know that Jesus' plan works, it's still easy to face the future afraid. In fact, if you're anything like me, it's that fear that sometimes causes you to let those opportunities pass you by, to give in to peer pressure, to join in the gossip, to get swept up in the greed and materialism that are all around us, to give in to our children, even though we know what is best for them, or to raise them in a way that's really no different from the way that other children all around us are being raised. Because of fear, it's very easy for that pressure that gets exerted on us, rather than it it's squeezing out the truth that we know about Jesus, it's very easy for that pressure to just bend and shape, and mold us until we're really no different from anyone else around us. That's why it's so important for us to know how the story is going to end. Take Martin Luther, for example. Talk about a man who faced some opposition, and not just from friends or family or co-workers. He faced opposition from the very highest levels of church and state. And I'm sure there were times when Martin Luther was tempted to be afraid, when he was tempted to to back down from the truth that he knew to be true about Jesus from the Bible rather than facing the consequences that might come. But what what, what do you think would have happened if Martin Luther had known how his story was going to end? What if he knew that 500 years later, Christians all over the world would still be setting aside a Sunday in October to remember the Reformation that he started? What if he knew that 500 years later, young people would stand in front of congregations and profess their agreement with the teachings of the Lutheran Church? What if he knew that all over the world, churches would actually name themselves after him and after his name? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, facing all of that opposition would have been a little bit easier? And finding the courage to face that opposition would have come more naturally.
1: Martin Luther didn't
0: know how his story was going to end, but he did know the end of the story that Jesus tells in these verses. Even as Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples, he concludes his instructions with these words. Jesus says, truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. In other words, this transition from the chapter where they're just sharing the gospel with the people of Israel and the chapter where they're going all over the world and facing opposition for it, that transition would not come until, Jesus says, he, Jesus, the Son of Man, would come. Not come on the last day in judgment But come on the clouds to his father's side to take the throne that rightfully belonged to him. Jesus would not be sending out these disciples all over the world until he had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and ascended into heaven. Jesus would not send out these disciples to give their testimony about him until that testimony had been proven to be true. And so as a result, as he sends them out, Jesus can make them a couple of important promises. First of all, he tells them that the Holy Spirit would teach them what to say and how to say it. And those two are very much related. Because Jesus would be sending the Holy Spirit, as promised, after he completed his work successfully, the Holy Spirit's job would simply be to point people to Jesus' completed work. And so what that means is that as you and I give our testimony about Jesus, it doesn't mean that we need to know all the right answers to every last question we might be asked. It doesn't mean that we need to have this perfect, polished presentation that we can give in any one of a hundred different scenarios we might face. No, giving our testimony about Jesus kind of, sort of, always looks the same. It's simply doing what the Holy Spirit was sent to do and what the Holy Spirit helps us do. It's simply pointing people to the completed work of Jesus. Because that completed work of Jesus doesn't just say something about him, it also says something very important about us and everyone else. It says exactly what you heard Paul say in that reading from Romans, that even though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the testimony the Holy Spirit helps us give. And that also determines, then, how we give it. You see, if that is true of us, if we know where we stand before God, then no matter how strong the opposition, no matter how strong the pressure, no matter how high the temperature gets, we know that we are not the one standing trial. We know that the verdict about us is not on the line. That verdict has already been given. Not guilty. Approved. Accepted by God for Jesus' sake. And so as a result, we can give our testimony without even the slightest hint of defensiveness, without needing to rely on things like anger or rage or condescension or insult. The truth that the Holy Spirit points to not only says something about Jesus, it also says something about us. And that's why Jesus can make the second promise he makes. He says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You see, facing opposition for Jesus rather than shrinking away from it is a risk. But thankfully, it's a calculated risk. In fact, it's a risk whose calculations have already been all worked out and whose outcome has been determined. If we take that risk, if we face opposition for Jesus and confess our faith in him, we will not be let down. We will not be disappointed for doing so. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And notice how Jesus says, not the one who stands firm at the end, but the one who stands firm to the end. Big difference. One thing that all five of our young people who are getting confirmed this morning have in common is that they're all very much involved in sports. Imagine how good a news it would be for a young person if all of a sudden this week they found out that come January, sports would be back. We'd have a winter sports season, we'd have basketball, one of our confirmands is very involved in gymnastics. All of it is going to happen again in January. What if they said to themselves, okay, that sounds great, and what that means is that during the months of November and December, I get to sit on the couch and watch TV and play video games and eat junk food all day, but then come January, when sports are back in session, I will be ready. That's not going to turn out so well, is it? Knowing what is to come transforms every moment that leads up to it. Jesus says, don't be ready at the end, stand firm until the end. That's why when people get confirmed, and maybe even when you got confirmed, you made the promise that you made. That in faith and action, you would remain true to God as long as you live. That you would be faithful in the use of word and sacrament. That you would be standing firm, not just at some indefinite day in the future, but each and every day leading up to it. And again, we know how that story is going to end. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The ending of Jesus' story also guarantees ours. So Luke Skywalker, Martin Luther, Matt DeSalvo. Back in 2003, my college baseball team took a trip down to Florida to have a chance to play some games while all of southeastern Minnesota was still under snow and ice. And while we were down there, we played this team from Ohio who had this pitcher named Matt DeSalvo. He was pretty good very good in fact he struck me out a couple of times I think the game that we played them but he was the kind of pitcher where when you stood in the batter's box you were a little bit nervous because of how hard he threw he was the kind of pitcher where while you were standing there you were kind of just thinking to yourself please walk me please walk me please walk me like I said he ended up striking me out a couple of times I probably wouldn't remember any of that and wouldn't remember his name except for the fact that four years later in 2007 I turned on the TV And there was Matt DeSalvo, starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. Now, what if I had known back in 2003 that that's how that story was going to end? I'm quite certain he still would have struck me out a couple of times, but I would have gotten into the batter's box completely differently. I would not have been thinking to myself, please walk me, please walk me, please walk me. I would have been thinking, this is my chance to get a hit against a future major leaguer when we know what is coming in the story, it completely transforms everything leading up to it. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus has given to us. As we take his name out into the world, yes, we will face opposition, but that opposition gives us opportunity to confess the truth about him. And as we do, as we take that risk, never once do we need to think that we somehow might be let down. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus has shown you the final page of the book, which means that you can turn every single page leading up to it completely unafraid. Amen.